0: Hello and welcome to the Conversations with Data podcast where we bring you the most interesting discussions around data journalism. I'm your host Tara Kelly and today we'll be speaking with investigative journalist Pavla Holdsova from the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project. Based in Prague, she serves as their regional editor for Central Europe and is also founder of independent outlet and OCCRP member organization Invetstagatse.cz. She has contributed to major cross-border projects such as the Panama Papers, the Paradise Papers, the Russian Laundromat, and the Azerbaijani Laundromat. She talks to us about investigating the death of her colleague Jan Kuciak, a 28-year-old Slovak investigative journalist who was murdered three years ago this month, along with his fiancée Martina Kuznirova. Prior to his death, Pavla had worked with him to expose the ties between the Slovak government and Italian mafia. She also talks to us about using the data to investigate Jan's death and the privacy challenges that came with not exposing uninvolved bystanders that may have had links to those accused of the crimes. Let's take a listen to our conversation with Pavla Holtsova now. Pavla Hodsova, welcome to Conversations with Data. Thank you for the invitation. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're an investigative journalist, but what led you to this path and, you know, how did you end up setting up Investigatsia and also joining OCCRP? Uh, yeah, it's, a,
1: it's actually an interesting story because I used to work in Cuba with human rights defenders and independent journalists. And we were doing trainings there to, to actually make a difference between opinion journalism and reporting. I mean, fact-based reporting. And once we went for such a training um, with Paulo Radu who was even by then kind of an investigative journalism star, international one. And uh, one day we were detained by Cuban police and we ended up in kind of a same jail cell. And because we knew we can't talk about the job we are actually doing in Cuba and we can't talk and about the, the independent journalism media landscape, uh, we started to talk about his job. And he was explaining to me what kind of a job he's doing as an investigative journalist and, and in terms of kind of a cross-border project journalism. And that was the moment in Cuban jail when I decided that once I will quit my job in Cuba, I would like to do this. And this is the original idea behind the, uh, founding Investigace.cz and joining OCCRP.
0: Brilliant. Uh, What year was that?
1: Oh, it was probably something like 2010.
0: And and when did you found Investigatse? In 2013.
1: I wanted to bring such topics uh, as the international media projects and cooperation to the Czech Republic uh, and actually to Central Europe. That's why we, after we were founded, we joined OCCRP, Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project because uh, those were the guys that I saw that they understand how cooperation is important. So our focus in Czech Republic as a media uh, is to follow the money because that's one of the few tools we have to, to fight both corruption and organized crime. You, you can't, the, the corruption nor the organized crime can, can work without money. Uh, quite often there is no ideology Quite often there is no uh, phrase left, so we need to stick to what we have. And that's why we work with data such as banking data or uh, as we did in in Russian landromat or Azerbaijani landromat. We are quite often exposing the politicians who stashed uh, their assets or their money in Czech Republic or Slovakia. Our financing is based on a, on a grants and on uh, private donations. And uh, it's, each year it's more and more difficult uh, because Czech Republic especially is considered being part of EU uh, kind of democratic country. But we are actually fighting for the attention and for the resources with media that belong to oligarchs. So uh, we really appreciate any kind of support. Uh, we even have the, the the English version of our website where we publish, but we really need both attention and and money just to survive. Because recently, this we probably spent more time on fundraising than actually reporting. And that's kind of a sad. The best model for us is if we have someone who is sending us like two euros or four euros per month, because we know we can rely on, the, on, on this money and we can plan accordingly. The problem with uh, donors is the, the fact that they want the stories in advance. They want a project that we are going to report on this and that, but we don't know what the emergency is going to be in upcoming 12 months. And what kind of a data set or what kind of a leaks we are going to get in the upcoming 12 months. So it's kind of difficult to plan it accordingly. So sometimes we we have a month, but we need to actually do the project for the donors and at the same time have some emergency situation. So we are overwhelmed by the work. We work 20 hours a day just to do it both uh because of the deadlines uh so that's why we why we actually really are dependent more and more on the donations private donations that are not actually that there's no the condition of this story to be published on this date and those are the th- this is the funding of our biggest project is the funding from from people and we just love them for that
0: and can you tell me, like, so how is Investigachi and OCCRP tied together? Like, how do you, so you're a member organization? Yes, yes. Uh,
1: OCCRP is kind of umbrella organization. It's providing the things that would be really expensive for small, single, independent centers, like a tech team, scraping of the data, editorial help for the stories overview of of you know the the media trends and and uh, dealing with the bigger organization sometimes if you are really in a crisis they are even able to get you some money to survive and they give you good advice and they actually train you uh, according to anglo-saxon media standards what is not so common in our region and i actually i am working for occrp as a central european editor that's how actually OCCRP got involved and was essential in dealing with the Kochner's Library project and dealing with with the overwhelming amount of
0: data. Okay, um, and I'm just curious. You know, um, we're about to mark the three year anniversary, sadly, of Slovak investigative journalist Jan Kuciak, um, and you know, and his fiance uh, and you know, they were brutally murdered. And for basically, he was investigating alleged tax fraud of a businessman who was close to Slovak politicians. Um, but I just wonder if you could just tell us about what happened there for those of us who don't who aren't that familiar with the story. yeah, it's
1: Jan Kuciak and his fiance, they were really a couple of weeks before their wedding. Uh, they were shot dead uh, on the evening on 21st of February, the police started to investigate and they found out what was kind of obvious that he was shot because of the work he had done, uh, because of of him being investigative journalist and uh, because of exposing a couple of the stories that actually describes the, the corrupt nature of the of the system in Slovakia. And I'm talking about judiciary, I'm talking about tax frauds, I'm talking about group of people who were basically untouchable. You know, they were never prosecuted and he was exposing how how is it possible and the system of the corruption in Slovakia. A year before he was shot, we decided to work on a story together that was actually exposing ties of Italian mafia, Ndrangheta, to the Prime Minister of Slovakia, then Prime Minister, Robert Fico. And it was about a week before we were about to publish when he was shot. So the first lead was that Italian mafia ordered his killing. But later it turned out that the lead suspect and, and, and the person with the highest motivation to actually silence Jano as investigative journalist uh, was Marian Kochner. Marian Kochner used to be kind of a well-known Slovak businessman who felt threatened by the reporting Jánod did. And he had the highest motivation. The the first instance court uh, said that there's a lack of evidence so we can't really uh, send him to to prison. But there's appeal and we will follow the case. But uh, it's still ongoing. But when Marian Kočner was detained, and put into the prison, it revealed how the system truly worked and how much the system was corrupted. And we are now able to prove it and expose it because we got access to 70 terabytes of data. And we now call the project Kochner's library because it's the evidence that was collected by Slovak police, including the files, including all the annexes. Uh, regarding uh, the murder of Jana Kuciak and, and Martina Kusnirova,
0: And how was it that you managed to obtain all that data? I mean, was it difficult to get permission from the police for this? We
1: did not ask for permission from the police. Uh, we got it from a source. I would say we've got it legally. It was not actually a leak. Uh, and we know who the source is even though we won't really reveal the source. And you know it was it was a very special situation in Slovakia. In 2020 there were there were elections that for the first time made change the, the, the political landscape in Slovakia when the party that created this corrupted system may be outvoted and won't won't win the elections. Uh, first time, let's say, after 12 years. And uh, we obtained those 70 terabytes of data in late, let's say, November 2019. And we knew that we've got about four months to work with the data and to start this project because then there will be elections. And one of the reasons we've got the data is that we are not based in uh, Slovakia. And the fear was if the party that was ruling Slovakia through the corrupted system will win the elections again, they will prosecute everyone who even remotely touched the data. They can do it easily in Slovakia, but they can't do it that easily in Czech Republic. So we were kind of a backup also of the situation. Also another fear was that uh, the party and, and the friends of Marian Kočner will actually spread the information to the media uh, that would be fake. And then they will say, hey, it's not in the data. You just invented it. You know, This is not, this is fake news and they will discredit the media. So for us, it was also a way how to certify that the source of the data or source of the information is indeed genuine from the police file.
0: Brilliant. Now, I imagine that Czech and Slovak are quite similar. You could, Or may, maybe not that similar, but you can understand it easily. Yes, Czech and Slovak are different, different languages, but we easily
1: understand each other. And we have a large history together. You know. The velvet divorce. <laughs> yes, it, it, was, it was for a long time. It was Czechoslovakia only in 1993. It was a kind of a nice divorce but still some people are unhappy that it actually happened.
0: Right. But useful in this case uh, to be investigating stuff. You're in a different country and, you know, that definitely worked to your advantage.
1: Definitely useful. That's that's for sure. Also, it's, it kind of keeps me safe.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what was the reaction um, from the country when news broke about his death and his fiance's death i mean this was the first journalist killed since independence right yes even longer uh well
1: yes this is this is special case because there were uh, journalists before jano who mysteriously disappeared and where their bodies were never discovered this was the first time when actually the body of the victim was found at home and uh it utterly shaken Slovak society. Not even not, not only Slovak, the, the, the Czechs were shaken as well. But people went to the streets and started to demand a change. And every Friday, weekly, there were huge protests in Slovakia. And actually, this public pressure on the government really uh, helped in the investigation, because What I see uh, and what I have confirmed from other people is that only after removal of the then police president, the investigation accelerated. He was kind of blocking the investigation and only after he was forced to resign, then the acceleration was visible and they detained the people. One of them later started to to cooperate with the police and described how the murder happened. And that actually really, uh, the outcome of this murder investigation really shaken Slovakia because the police president now is awaiting trial. He's detained. Uh, the next pres- police president who was appointed after him, he, he was detained and in the jail he committed suicide. People from the police force started to to be detained like really top management of Slovak police force. Uh, many of them are now awaiting trial in jail and some of them decided to work with the police and started to describe the system of corruption that was in place for, for AGs and those who profited on such a system. And also uh, the, the, the same shock waves came uh, through judiciary. Uh, there are recently, I believe, 11 judges Uh, In jail awaiting trial, some of them started to cooperate with the police and described how actually the the justice was corrupted, how the judges were corrupted, how the prosecutors were corrupted. The main special prosecutor focused on on really uh, hardcore crimes is now in in jail awaiting trial. So it was really corrupted to the core and very remote from what we call uh, rule of law.
0: Hmm. Now I'm curious: Is Slovakia similar in terms of its press setup to Czech Republic? Is it becoming a thing where oligarchs are buying up media organizations there, just like we're seeing in in Czech Republic? Actually,
1: no. Slovakia has much healthier media situation. Uh, there are still independent quality dailies in Czech Republic. Uh, well, independent quality dailies that are truly independent in Czech Republic. Like really, 95% of the media is now owned by by oligarchs, and they some some of them control more, some of them control less the content of the media. But still the situation is really bad and probably the biggest case of conflict of interest is our prime minister who owns the biggest media house and one of the biggest businesses in Czech Republic. And still he is the prime minister and he's actually through his people and politicians from his party. He's awarding huge subsidies to his own companies. Uh, He's awarding huge marketing and advertising to his own media uh, for the state. So, so that's how he's actually sucking money from the state for his private businesses.
0: Oh, It is, it is quite disturbing. We're seeing that trend, aren't we, um, across Europe? Um, yes. And media freedom is impacted by that. So, yeah. I, but let's bring it back to Jan and, and his case. So when you got the data, I'm just curious, like, how did that work? it was a lot of data and as
1: you know 70 terabytes these days is something that you can imagine like yeah it's somewhere there but actually to, to be honest i didn't expect it to be so heavy we've got seven ten terabytes external hard drives and you need to carry it around at the first instance and it's actually quite heavy <laughs> so Sometimes you really—it's—it's it's really easier to find a way how to how to transfer a smaller amount of data online through different various tools. But if you have seventy terabytes of a data, you really need to find a way how to do it. And and it's such a kind of sensitive data uh, that could actually you know take down the government and send people to jail. You would rather do it offline, not connected uh immediately online and only the copying took to a couple of the days we needed to split it we we did kind of a parallel copying like of of uh, all the hard drives uh, at once and and still uh, it took a couple of the days and then the, the biggest challenge came and it was sorting out the data and making it accessible because uh you know we we can as a journalist we can run a couple of the queries to find what's in there but there were data that were complete mess and we needed to check it out and and we needed to read it and that's why we actually asked the OCCRP tech team who really did a brilliant job and they sorted out the data and make it accessible and make it usable for a group of journalists. But when we saw those 70 terabytes of a data, you know, it, it was like, wow, we've got this treasury of a data and information. And then you just saw it's, it's so big that you can't deal with it. So we asked the journalists from, from uh, other Slovak media outlets and, and media houses, if they will be willing uh, to create kind of a team who will go through the data. And we ended up with an excellent team that was, you know, across Slovak media. We know in person those journalists, so we knew that we can totally trust them, that they won't leak the data, they won't abuse the data in the political fight, and they will do the best job uh, we can probably imagine. So we created this team analytics, journalists, reporters, but even tabloid media, because they have their specific kind of a skills and expertise, TV stations, and, and we we made it happen. And, and actually, it was probably the best investigative team you can have in Central Europe. And we gave them access to this data. Uh, we decided, me and my colleague, uh, Arpad Šoltes from Slovakia, we decided that we are not going to publish any stories based on this data because we want the team not to feel any pressure as a kind of competition because we had kind of a better access to the data as the owners of the data. But we decided we are just going to help and coordinate and share and, and make the project happen. But we are not going to, to put additional pressure on the journalists by doing our own stories. And actually I was really happy that the trust among the, within the team and the journalists, even though they are a competition, it was created and they shared the stories, they coordinated the publication and they were happy actually to, to, to really work together and to brainstorm and to talk and to correct and to give feedback. And, and I was really, really moved that this is possible.
0: Yeah. And I I suppose there was also some pressure on you as well, because you knew Jan and you had worked with him. What was that like? What was he like as a journalist? Yeah, he he was great. He was
1: one of the most modest journalists I've ever worked with. We were not even colleagues, we were also good friends and we exchanged messages or talks like three times a week. So for me, it was also a shock, but... In Slovakia before he was uh, murdered. He was not well known. He was only 27 years old and he was much more into analyzing the data than really having some secret sources and then publishing what they told him. He was much into the public registries, collecting the data, putting them together, analyzing them and connecting the dots actually. And that was his style of writing and,
0: and and
1: analyzing things.
0: And he was also working on a PhD at the time, right? He was also working on a PhD and he was
1: also helping the others. If someone from other media had a problem with understanding some bigger financial scheme, he was the one who, uh, who helped him. To, to to describe, okay, this, you know, company sent money to that company based on promissory notes. They did this and that, and, and that's how they ship it offshore. The the first big project that we did together with Jano Kuciak was actually Panama Papers. And, you know, it, it sounds fancy, but the reality was that we've been sitting, I mean, my my team from Investigate and Jano came from Slovakia, we were sitting in my living room, you know, ordering pizza, uh, drinking coffee, cola, and, and beer in the evening. And we were just overwhelmed, you know, uh, working on the computers, sitting on the floor, sharing the ideas, sharing what does it mean, what this doesn't mean, and, and working like really nonstop. And that was the moment when I understood that Jano is, is an excellent analytical mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I'm curious, when you were trolling through all this data, um, privacy obviously was a concern, right? Uh, That was actually
1: my role to make sure that we won't expose uh, random bystanders in the conversation or actually the victims of uh, Marianne Kochner. So... The team, one, one of the criteria of the team, of the people who will be selected to the team, was that they have the highest ethical standards and they know that they shouldn't go for a story that sounds bombastic, but they, sh- they need to, to take into account and they need to really uh, keep in mind that we made expose people who were not part of the system and they shouldn't do it. So uh, they understood it. Uh, What we also needed to coordinate was that we didn't want to jeopardize some police investigation. So we also, before, when we started to work on a story, it was my task to coordinate with the lawyers and with the police just to check that we won't disturb their investigation that's in process and we won't reveal some kind of information that shouldn't be revealed.
0: Yeah. And and from your personal perspective, like for me, the personal safety, uh, you know. Uh... Yes,
1: we, we definitely needed to consider uh, the personal safety, not only ours, but also of the journalists during this year of, of the project. Uh, last year, one of uh, team members and, and also a good friend, he received a bullet to his mailbox. So we were considering if this is anyhow related to the project or if this is something else or if it is a joke or not. And uh, he got police protection and everyone was alerted that this is happening. But at the end, we, we didn't found who put the, the the bullet into his mailbox. But at the end, I believe uh, all of the team members managed to, to succeed uh, in keeping their you know work-life balance let's say uh and and keep their sanity but what we did was that we established a safe room in Bratislava the the, the only place where you can actually access the data uh, we had a set of computers that were actually striped of any you know functionalities to be usable and only if the manager of the library, so-called librarian, uh, started the system, those computers connected to those set of data, and then anyone who wanted to work in the library needed to come to this place, uh, could download on encrypted USB stick the data he needed, and can bring it home and work in it, work with it at home from his home computer. Uh, but actually, if anyone would break into this room and steal the computer, they would have just a piece of iron. Or if anyone would, you know, rob the the, the journalist and steal the USB stick, um, they would only have encrypted USB stick. So th- th- this, this was the security concern and, and how we dealt with it. And it worked.
0: Now, what was the impact from the stories that came out from this data? Was it about Jan and his, his fiance's death or was it, were there other stories in there continuing on from what he had been reporting on?
1: Yes, even this week we are publishing a story that actually concerns the VAT text and how it was corrupted. But no, no, the, the stories that came from this data set, they really changed. Slovakia, and the impact is huge. What we've done was that we described to to the public uh, how Jano and Martina were murdered. And then we exposed the the world of Marian Kočner, how through his kind of a honey trap, but also blackmailing and corruption, how he was uh, managing to escape justice. Because he was uh, bribing general attorney. He had good connections to the police force. They were giving him information. They were actually uh, neglecting his cases. He was corrupting judges. And it was widespread corruption. And he was even telling them how to rule in his cases. And those people because of the police investigation that started based on on the information from this data set and because of the public pressure those people are now in jail so there is a really big revolution going on in Slovakia it's not so visible because of the coronavirus situation but it's changing completely
0: yeah amazing and and you know this happened right around the time that you know, Daphne Caruana Galizia was murdered, the Maltese investigative journalist. You know, is, is there something that Europe can be doing to protect journalists? Because this seems to be happening more and more, and it's, it's quite disturbing. And we all think, oh, it's the European Union, we're safe. Not necessarily. If anything, it seems like things are getting more corrupt and more dangerous for journalists.
1: Yes, I think the situation really changed, and, and uh, as the situation changed because of the murder, both in Malta and Slovakia, I hope that those people who were considering murdering another journalist just just saw that way. This is far bigger damage that you know that, that I see coming. Uh, because if Marian Kochner wouldn't kill Jano and Martina, most probably. He would be still in charge of of the corrupted system, kind of, Uh, and the party will be still ruling Slovakia. So his stupid idea of killing a journalist just, you know, send him to jail. And of course there are things that could be done to protect journalists, Uh, And there are even things that could be done by the public and that's uh, actually caring about the journalists because if some journalist has support of society, it provides him or her this kind of protection and those perpetrators would consider twice if they are going to, to do harm to the journalist or not. Sharing is one of the few ways how, how you can protect yourself because it sends a straight message that you know even if you would kill one, the others will just jump on the data and finish what you started. And there's definitely, you know, 15 angry journalists is much bigger force than one angry journalist. So Yes, uh, we can even admit that this could be kind of uh, motivated by by, by kind of revenge, even if it shouldn't be. But uh, it really kept us motivated to go the extra mile to to finish the stories of Jano because we knew him in person and and we all love him. And, you know, the fact that he was killed because he was upset by his reporting someone, it gave us extra strength.
0: I'm just curious how does OCCRP and yourself and other news outlets in the region how can we keep his memory alive?
1: Uh, we are still not finished with the data and but I believe that that you know his murder and also murder of Martina It the impact was huge and uh, we just should freely uh remember him not once a year but we just should remember that actually the the, the fact that he was murdered changed central europe and it changed central europe in a unprecedented way uh and of course we do remember him we and of course we want to finish all the stories he started uh and we are doing so
0: yeah brilliant um and is there any other advice you have for other budding investigative journalists out there who are maybe inspired by your story and, and your journey?
1: Oh, don't give up too easily. <laughs> Sometimes we, we really need to to face uh, the f- situation that we never imagined and uh, just pulling out of the business would be sad because it would send the wrong message that if if someone uh, is threatened or is afraid to do his job as investigative journalist for any reasons, it sends out the message that it's easy to, to threaten investigative journalists. And this is the way how you can stop the reporting. So, of course, after the murder, we all felt like, oh, leave us alone. I just want to, you know, lock myself uh, in in the bedroom and cry for two weeks. But that was exactly what we shouldn't do. And we needed to, to keep in mind that actually following the steps of the journalists who are threatened or who had been murdered and finishing their stories and, and showing that, hey, this, you know, killing of someone doesn't kill the story they wanted to publish. Uh, That's super important.
0: Marvelous. Well, thank you so much, um, Pavla, for joining us today on Conversations with Data. It was very fascinating listening to your story and the path you've been on. Thank you for the
1: invitation.
0: A big thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Want to hear more interesting discussions on data journalism? Why not subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts? I've been your host, Tara Kelly, and that's all for now. See you next time.